Hello and welcome to this week's A Photographic Life. Just a few weeks ago now, the photographer Daniel Meadows joined us and gave us a particularly excellent, I felt, contribution to the What Does Photography Mean to Me strand. As part of that contribution, he spoke about a photographer whom he described as being the best living photographer working in the UK today. That photographer was Chris Killop. And very sadly, that description is no longer accurate because we lost Chris in the last week. That's a huge loss to the photo community. And I think it's also a huge loss to the photo community of the future because Killop's work is timeless and Meadows beautifully encapsulated what Killop's work meant to him in just a minute. And I've put that little extracted minute up on the United Nations of Photography.com website as our own little personal tribute. So do check that out. But I think the thing with Killop's work is that for me, looking at his images, there is an entire school of photographic thinking there for us to see laid out. It's about composition. It's about history. It's about empathy. It's about understanding. And it's about showing. It really is very, very special work. So my suggestion to you is, if you are aware of Killop's work, go back and have another look at it. Remind yourself. I'm sure many of you have, especially if you own a copy, as I'm lucky to do, of In Flagrante. If you've never heard of Killop's work, you need to go and check him out. Really spend time with those images. Allow them to seep into your consciousness and allow them to seep into your understanding of photography. It's really sad when I have to use this podcast to bring news or to, uh, I suppose, commemorate at somebody we've lost in the last week. We did it with Harold Evans just a couple of weeks ago, and this week it's Chris Killop. But there you go. That's where we are, and I think it's important to mark these milestones. I think one of the things that uh, when I speak to young photographers, they talk to me about is the importance of travel. So often I speak to photographers and I say, well, why do you want to study the medium? And they say, well, because I want to travel. And I suggest that perhaps they might like to be a pilot or they might like to do something different than being a photographer. If traveling is the only part of that kind of process that they're really interested in. But it reminds me also that I've not been traveling and I guess many of you haven't been traveling this year. And it reminded me of how much travel played such an important part in my career. I would regularly travel to Paris and back in a day, get the Euro tunnel early and uh, I should say the uh, Eurostar and the Euro Tunnel, and then get back kind of mid to late evening. Early morning, six o'clock flight to Milan and back by midnight or one o'clock the following morning. I did do that once actually and get so tired. I forgot where I left my car in the uh, airport car park and they had to drive me around the car park with me hanging out of the window, blipping 
my car key, hoping that it would work and one car would light up. I'd do Germany there and back in a day. New York I would do just for the day. Coming back the day I, I was working. So I'd fly out there the day before, work the following day, fly back that day. LA used to be two days. San Francisco also two days. I even once did Sao Paulo in two days. So travel was intrinsic. But actually, how important was it to me as a photographer? Well, I've got to be honest and say I'm not actually much of a traveller. I don't really enjoy travelling that much. And so, although it gave me those experiences of going to different places and meeting different people, it was never my intrinsic reading of what being a photographer was. And now, of course, for me, I'm forced to find those stories which are just at the end of the road or just in the next town or village. And I'm sure many of you are in exactly the same situation. We started off this week talking about Chris Killip, and he's certainly somebody who was able to find work and great stories to tell locally. So although travel may be nice, it takes us out of our comfort zone in so many different ways. I think it would be a mistake to think that photography was only about travel and that travel was about photography. This week, we welcome to the What Does Photography Mean to Me? Robin Schwartz who's a 2016 Guggenheim Fellow in Photography, with her work being held in the collections of the Metropolitan Museum of Art, the Museum of Modern Art, the Smithsonian American Art Museum, the San Francisco Museum of Art, the Brooklyn Museum, and the Bibliothèque Nationale in France, amongst many others. Schwartz was a shortlisted finalist at the Jerez Festival de Photography in 2010 in France and a two-time recipient of the New Jersey State Council on the Arts Grant and a Ford Foundation Individual Artist Grant winner as a graduate student at Pratt Institute. Her work has been published in a number of monographs including Like Us, Primate Portraits, 1993, Dog Watching, 1995, Amelia's World 2008 and Amelia and the Animals in 2014. Schwartz's photographs have been published in the New York Times magazine, the New Yorker Stern, the Telegraph and the Guardian. She's a professor in photography at William Patterson University of New Jersey and has taught at the International Center of Photography, New York City. I'm Robin Schwartz and this is what photography means to me and my story. Photography is the gift that enables me to keep whom I care about forever, meet those I admire, and freeze my memories. Sometimes photography gives me the fantasy to portray and communicate with animals more fully. I realize I photograph in a similar vein as I did when I was 10 and home alone with my cat while my parents worked. I used my camera as a tool to record our play and my still lifes with him. I also painted as well. Later in college, I was able to transfer from being a biology major to art after my father died. 
I used photography as a passport to get into a range of places from factories in Patterson, New Jersey, to photographing on the Zuni Pueblo in New Mexico during a college program. The Zuni work got me into graduate school at Pratt Institute in Brooklyn. There I got the best guidance to photograph what I cared about. The photographs of my daughter, Amelia, began in earnest after my mother died. I was sad and morbid. I thought about my own mortality and my legacy for my daughter, what I wanted her to know of me. Amelia was named after a capuchin monkey I had photographed at length a decade earlier. I photographed a two-and-a-half-year-old Amelia with little Amelia the capuchin. My Amelia and the Animals project grew from there. Amelia grew up comfortable with our two whippets and two cats. Photographing my daughter with animals filled my need to be with her while teaching photography full-time. That project resulted in two aperture books. My first two books are Like Us Primate Portraits and Dog Watching. I had been a black-and-white film photographer for 35 years, and then 220 color negative, and now digital. I was a photography assistant for 15 years while being a college adjunct. Finally, I am a full professor. My speaking at the National Geographic Annual Seminar brought me specific animal assignments and the courage to expand out for my Guggenheim project. It, had, it has always been about animals for me, and photography is my vehicle to get to them. Thank you, Robin, for your contribution this week. I think that's our first uh, animal photographer or animal-based photographer. That's really interesting in, in a number of ways there, I think, what Robin had to say and how it fits in with a few of the kind of ideas that I was putting forward at the beginning of this podcast. That synchronicity happening yet again, as I always say. I don't listen to these contributions before I drop them into the podcast. So what you're hearing now is my straightforward, straight-off-the-cuff response. But um, anyway, I'm not quite sure how my daughter would uh, feel, having been named after a, a cute little monkey, but there you go. But so interesting to hear Robin talk about the fact there that she has focused very close to home. And I was talking about that very thing just a minute ago. I know of a number of photographers who've used their children or their partners as kind of their central source material. I've always loved Harry Callahan's images of uh, Eleanor as an example of that. And in fact, it's just reminded me that I did write an article about working with those people close to you at home. So that's on the uh, United Nations website also. It's about collaboration. You might want to try and find that one. But anyway, so she's, you know, Robin's looking close to home. But that idea, again, it ties in that so often I speak to people about is that idea that photography is the connector with the subject and that idea that she's using photography to connect with her love of animals is really interesting. If you're not aware of Robin's work, it might be, and you're just listening to this podcast, you might be thinking, oh, she's an animal photographer. Maybe that's not my kind of thing. Or you may even think, well, it is my kind of thing, but I know what those kinds of pictures look like. I can tell you Robin brings an incredibly interesting approach to the way in which she brings her daughter into the narratives and how she brings the children into the narratives as well her daughter as i say in particular 
So thanks very much, Robin, for your uh, contribution this week. And as I said, if you're not aware of her work, get out there now and have a look at it. One of the sort of key elements, I suppose, of this podcast is to try and bring photographers to you whose work you're not aware of, as well as those bigger names that perhaps you are aware of. And I think we've had some really interesting photographers over the last few weeks that may well be new to you. But as you can tell by their biogs, they're very well respected for what they do. Speaking of being well respected for what you do, uh, I mentioned it last week and I'm going to mention it just briefly again this week. Uh, been working with Jim Mortram uh, and film, a short exhibition film as part of Photo Oxford and that is now available to view. You can view it uh, by going to the Photo Oxford website, looking for the Jim Mortram exhibition and clicking on the link there or going directly to the Oxford Brooks University website. Glass Tank is the page, that's the exhibition space and the film is there for you to watch. It's an eight minute film featuring uh, audio uh, transcription of a testimony, testimony, I should say, of Helena, the... um, person that uh, Jim has been documenting for quite some time now. So it's a mixture of that uh, testimony and also still images. It'll be up on that website for the next four weeks until November the 16th. So lots of time to look at it. And then after that, it will be on the United Nations of website. Uh, I always get it wrong, don't I? The United Nations of Photography website. Of all the website names to get wrong, I always get my own wrong. Well, that probably says something about me. I always spell the word photography wrong as well. But that's that's another matter. Something else I wanted to talk about, which I have been sort of teasing you with over the previous weeks, is the book that will be coming out. We sent it to print uh, last week uh, called What Does Photography Mean to You? And it features, uh, I think now, a roughly uh, 90 photographers who've contributed to the podcast over the last um, couple of years, I think it is now. And uh, it's edited versions of their uh, contributions alongside a portrait of themselves which they've submitted. It's a lovely little book. It's just going to be £9.95 and that's going to be published by Blue Coat Press. It'll be available from the Blue Coat Press uh, website, I should imagine, in mid-November. But uh, have no fear, I will keep you informed as to when you can get your order in. It's going to be a limited print run initially, and we're going to see how things go, as is the way with uh, digitally printed self-publishing nowadays. Another thing that's happened in uh, the last week was I had a a really interesting conversation with Philippe Garner. I'm not sure if you're aware of Philippe. Again, someone to check out. A real authority on photography uh, worldwide, but um, certainly uh, his specialised area of chosen interest, I suppose, are his books on Cecil Beaton and his connections with Sotheby's The Auction House. Philippe was also the first uh, person to put together a contemporary photography auction back in 1971, I think that was, at Sotheby's. So a really interesting conversation with Philippe. And what the reason I wanted to bring it up, because I don't talk about every conversation I have with everybody, but um, what was interesting about that was um, 
that network of connections of people we knew and also how it came about that we even spoke that it was somebody who we knew and then we knew somebody else and what have you. So there was that little network. And I know for a lot of people listening that uh, the photography world can seem to be a very tight network, a kind of cabal of people who are all supporting each other and helping each other out, and that there's no way into that. And the reason why I wanted to raise that point now was that actually that's not the case. It is the case that certain areas are run like a bit of a cabal. With that, I will agree. However, I won't uh, agree with the idea that it isn't possible to become part of that community or part of that network, or at least have touch points with it, if that's what you want to do. You certainly don't have to do it, but you might want to do it. And the way to do it is just to reach out to people in a really respectful way. And although, as as I know, I I email many, many photographers uh, to appear on this podcast, and many of them ignore my emails, many of them reject the, the proposal. In fact, not many. I would say probably only three or four have rejected the proposal of appearing on the podcast. The rest have just ignored the email. But many haven't ignored the email. And that's the positive message that I want to give out this week, that projects come from putting yourself in that position for luck to happen. And I suppose really those conversations can be really fruitful in so many ways. I think they can be fruitful for your mental well-being. They can be fruitful for your creative work and your practice and the projects that you're working on. And also helping you to make things move on to the next step. I certainly know my conversation with Philippe um, was filled with uh, potential projects that we could work on or we may not work on doesn't matter really some of them hopefully will come to something what was really good was that conversation and finding people who are on the same page of as you are have the same interests and the same passions so i'm I'm always a a great proponent of the idea of speaking uh of listening of course and reaching out to people that perhaps you've never met or may even seem as if they're a little bit unreachable. Most people can be responded uh, or will respond to an email. So give it a go. That's my suggestion. Well, as things are going on with COVID, it's getting more and more bizarre and stranger and stranger. And we're getting into more and more lockdowns. And to be honest with you, I don't think anybody's got a clue as to what's going on or what's going to happen. What's happening in America leaves me my jaw dropped on the floor every time I hear something else and the coming weeks leading up to the election at the beginning of uh, November are sure to be filled with uh, incredible happenings it's a strange time and there is no doubt about that and in strange times you know what I'm going to say it's really important just to take care Thank you.